from recruiting and consulting firm RiderFlex. I'm your host, Steve Urban, and here is your RiderFlex podcast episode of the day. Um, Liz Georgie on the RiderFlex podcast. Good morning, Liz. It's me. I'm here. Thank you for having me. <laughs> are you in Denver, Boulder? Where are you today? We're Denver people. Yeah, it's Denver people today. All right. Very cool. Well, you got a great story. I, you know, was studying you last night, looking up uh, stuff this morning. You got lots of stuff out there, lots of interviews on YouTube and things, which is super awesome. And I know you're kind of a serial entrepreneur now. I guess you classify yourself. As I guess to be now. Yeah, I've done it twice. Right, so I guess right. I'm serial. Is, is, that, is, that, is that the definition? I don't know. Um, we'll get into Suna. But before we do, um, how about just you as a person a little bit? I just want to know, let's just go all the way back to maybe uh, some childhood stuff where you grew up, some mom and dad, siblings. <laughs> well, walk sure. us through some of that if you don't mind. Yeah, I was really, uh, I had a really unusual childhood. I was born in northern Minnesota in a place called the Iron Range and is a small series of towns that are all centered around iron ore mining uh, on the okay. on the Canadian border. And okay. so grew up there. I was really fortunate to grow up in a family business. My grandfather had a canoe outfitter and uh, had that canoe outfitter for 25 years. And as a child, I distinctly remember having many experiences both being in the Boundary Waters canoe area where we largely took folks on expeditions, but huh. also, you know, just being in the shop and being with my family in an environment where everyone was contributing to the success of the business. And so mm. uh, my mom would do things like pack lunches. Uh, my grandmother would be, you know, answering the phones and it was always really a big part of our lives. And then in the winter, we had a tree farm. So we had acreages of trees where, you know, we, we cut down Christmas trees. So wow. I had a, I, it sounds very idyllic <laughs> and it was idyllic. You know, I was very fortunate in that way. My parents actually were both public school teachers, which was a really uh, huge gift for both my brother and I. I have one, one younger brother named Adam. And we both became really passionate about, you know, I think going out and seeing what there is in the world for us to do outside of where we grew up in a very rural area. So uh, I went to school thinking I wanted to be Barbara Walters. I had kind of this vision of delivering your nightly news to you or answering the hard questions of politicians and business leaders and prime ministers. And uh, I very quickly realized when I got to journalism school that most news anchors deliver really bad news all the time. And I was a really positive person and I wanted to do things that were more positive in the world. And so ultimately ended up taking a technical path in production. And so uh, did a lot more of television editing, commercial editing, script writing, things of that nature. And I loved it, you know, uh, went to a state university, which is kind of in the startup world, an anomaly. <laughs> Everyone I meet, I feel like went to business school and I went to school for television. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, but it was wonderful. You know, I had a great freelance career for almost a decade before I started my first business. And it was the kind of experience that one, you know, makes you really honed in on storytelling and how do you tell great stories? How do you help people understand the what and the why? Uh, but the other thing is I felt like it just made me super comfortable in a business environment. When you are moving from job to job and set to set, and you're really trying out a lot of different crews and a lot of different relationships, uh, you get used to working with lots of different types of people. So it was a huge mm -hmm. gift. And 
uh, something that I've really enjoyed being able to share with folks now, because I think a lot of the entrepreneurial stories we hear are people who are like, I went to business school. I knew I wanted to have a startup. I, you know, this is what I did. And I didn't know that coming out of school. You know, I, I had a completely different vision for my life and very quickly uh, I've, or not very, very quickly realized that like, this doesn't have to be the only path. You can do a lot of other mm. things to get to entrepreneurship. And uh, I'm really lucky that I've been able to do so. What made you decide to start Mightier? I mean, you were, I think you were a tech reporter uh, mm -hmm. maybe at the time in New York City, maybe. Were you based in New York then? Yeah, for a little while I was working with apartment and, therapy and, you know, uh, it was a kind of a combination of things. I was freelancing and uh, doing a lot of different things and realized that, it was, it's actually like a, a coming home sort of story. It's very sweet home, Alabama. My, okay. <laughs> um, my grandfather who had the canoe outfitter passed in October of, of 2012 okay. and he was 93 years old. And so I had to make the long journey home to Northern Minnesota and, uh, got, got there. And the entire time home, I was going home. I was just thinking like, who's going to be at grand my grandfather's funeral? Like all of his family have passed, all of his good friends have passed. Like mm. we have a mm. pretty small family, like who is even going to be at this funeral? Right. <laughs> and, uh, it was amazing because when I got there, there was literally, um, hundreds of people who had gone on canoe expeditions with him, had worked for his canoe outfitter over the 25 years that he was in business. Wow. And I felt just called to go back to that mm. environment, you know, having a community built around a business. And, and so I got back home and decided I'm going to start a company. <laughs> I didn't know what I was going to start. I didn't know why, how it was going to work. I didn't know anything. I had no idea what I was getting myself into. Uh, but yeah, my grandfather's passing and, and that sort of remarkable mm. moment of realizing the community that can form around a business was uh, pretty wow. seminal for me. Wow, he was a major influence on your life then, especially with the entrepreneurial bug, right? Mm -hmm. You had it in there. Okay, then how did you come to Mightier? Like, what, what, how did you decide on that? Walk us into that whole transition. Oh, my Lord. Okay, well, um, I had been doing a lot of work turning television shows into YouTube channels. So one okay. of the freelance jobs I was getting was I was helping companies that were sort of looking at all this material that was being shot for their traditional programming and saying, how do we turn this into con other content online? Mm -hmm. And at the time, YouTube was becoming a place where it was really accepted for this behind the scenes content, this cutting room floor content mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. come online. And so I was doing that uh, with a lot of different, uh, different uh, folks. And I realized, oh, there's going to be a path here where there's going to be commercial work on YouTube. So I knew there would be commercials and ads on YouTube at some point. I just didn't know when. And so I decided that what I was going to do is I was going to be the first production company to focus on producing ads for the internet, specifically for platforms like YouTube. I and um, I was just putting pieces together, you know, and I think sometimes that's where the best businesses come from. You see an opportunity, you see a problem, you see that no one else is doing it. And you just sort of piece those little uh, segments of the pie together and create something that people need. And I got really, really lucky, honestly, because the very first project that I did uh, was for a nonprofit called the Institute on the Environment. And that, that campaign that we worked on uh, went viral uh, in its own right. So uh -huh. it was a piece that you can still go watch to this day. Uh, and it had millions of views. It was seen, it was talked about in the New York Times. It was covered in Wired. It was 
all over the place. And so I will always be grateful because the first project I did was probably the most successful project I did in, <laughs> in eight years of running that business. Uh, but you know what? Sometimes that's just what happens. You're you, right. just, you just have those moments. And uh, did you bootstrap it? Did you have to raise cash early on for that one? I bootstrapped you, it. Mm -hmm. You bootstrapped it. Okay. Okay. And you just got, got client. How, how many employees by the time you sold that? We were at 15 when I sold. Yeah. 15, 15. Mm -hmm. Was your plan to exit or it just kind of happened? I mean, were you just kind of moving along and, and, and an opportunity came or was this, or was there a specific whiteboarded plan? Like I'm going to sell when <laughs> no, I get there. There was no grand plan. <laughs> <laughs> no, there was never, there was no grand plan. I mean, on the baseline level, what happened was in 2018, uh, Haley Anderson was my director of animation at Bite Ear. And she and I went on vacation together to Palm Springs and we were hiking in Joshua Tree. And over the course of the week, we just kept talking about how video was becoming more and more important. Photography was becoming more and more important. The ways in which we were sharing content online were growing and changing and moving even faster. Mm -hmm. But the ways that we were producing the content was not changing. We were still producing content in this very slow, highly fragmented, extremely manual process. And she and I just kind of both became fascinated with this question of how do we create a production process that is as fast and dynamic as the ways we're sharing content online now? That was it. That was literally that week on vacation. That was what we landed on as a, as a core thesis. And then a full year passed, you know, we kept talking about it. We were working on my dear, but you know, what I, what ultimately happened was in 2019, she and I built the, had the first working prototype of what we believed Suna could be, which is a completely transparent virtualized platform for creating content where every single time someone takes a photo on a photo camera or shoots a video clip in one of our studios, it instantly becomes reviewable and a shoppable asset for our customer. And so that, that simple prototype that we had built, um, I submitted that to Techstars Boulder they were incredibly generous to offer us a spot in the program with this MVP that barely worked. Um, and I think Haley and I just became obsessed with it. We just said, there's something here. We don't, you know, we know that we need to spend more time on it. And the only way we can spend more time on it is if we don't have to keep running this other business together. And so mm. uh, she and I decided to start talking to brokers and start talking to our existing customers and seeing if anybody had any interest in working with us and, um, ultimately uh, sold the company to Standard in part because they were an incredible customer of ours. And so we knew we had a great working relationship. We knew that there was opportunity there for them to grow their business uh, with the help of our team. And uh, yeah, it was, a, it was a really fortuitous outcome, but it was not a master plan. It was a one step at a time, realizing what opportunities existed for us and and how we could you know add the most value for everyone around the table did you did you use the money that you got from selling mightier to get suna going along with the the, the you know the tech stars uh i guess seed investment yeah to yeah. some extent yeah there was quite a bit of seed money from mightier that that went into the formation of suna I see. Um, but then, you know, ultimately coming out of Techstars, uh, we, we ended up raising a pre-seed before we launched. We raised about a million dollars from 2048 Ventures in New York, just based on the technology itself. Mm. And then that gave us the runway to get us launched. Uh, then we raised a seed in uh, the winter of, of 2019. It was developed very fast. 
Um, and then uh, this year we're, we're gonna be announcing soon the raids of our series A. And so, you know, these are the, these things go so much faster than you ever really imagine when you actually have a great idea that needs to exist in the world. <laughs> Did you ever have to raise cash when you were at Mightier or the, or the cash raise experience is all at Suna so far? At Suna, um, Mightier was really, I had a great relationship with a banker and because it was a profitable business from the get, uh, we were always able to, and you know, listen, there's different kinds of businesses that different need different kinds of financing, right? So with a company mm -hmm. like Mightier, where we're work for hire, you hire us to make your ad or you hire us to make your campaign. Um, the economics of that are very different from a company mm -hmm. like Suno, where we're trying to invent a technology platform that can solve a problem for our customers. And we have a huge vision for creating that platform where you have to make tremendous technology investments along the way. So with Mightier, I built an incredible relationship with our banker. We you know, were able to mm -hmm. work with them when we needed to make investments in the business and you know, pay, that, pay those debts off over time. And with Suna, it's more of a, hey, we think there's a massive billion dollar opportunity here to solve a problem. So we're gonna go seek out that venture capital to help us go as quickly as possible and not have that debt hanging over our heads. How much cash have you raised so far total for Suna? Uh, between our pre-seed and our seed, we raised five million. Our Series A will be in the range of ten million. Congratulations! That's yeah. not easy to do. How many? <laughs> how big is the company right now, employee-wise? Yeah, so Suna has sort of two teams. We have the core HQ team that really builds the technology and the product, and then we have our photography teams. Uh, they're distributed all over the country, and so the core team is about thirty folks, and then we we're working with about thirty photographers across the U.S. Are the photographers contractors or employees or how do you do that? What's that business model? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so our, our creative crews are actually a blended hybrid depending okay. on you know how long they've been on the platform and also you know how successful they are on the platform. So uh, we have about 16 creatives right now that are full-time on the platform. They are really okay. successful with the customers. They're successful uh, with the team. They, they work really well with the product. And then we have other creatives that just want to you know pick up a couple shifts a week pick up a couple shoots a week. And so that's sort of how we're working I with see. them right now. And we'll continue to scale in that blended model. I think it's really important. Uh, you know, one of the conversations that we see happening in the startup community is sort of this permanent freelanceritis or permanent contractor work that we see with companies like Uber and, and Grubhub. Mm -hmm. And uh, the truth of the matter is, is, you know, if you're going to hire people, I really believe that if you're going to hire people to do a job, you should be willing to do it for that price yourself. And so uh, being really conscientious about that, we really want to have a path towards uh, a career at Suna, not just okay. having a path for, you know, permanent, permanent contracting on the platform. So that's the plan right now. Give us the Suna elevator pitch real quick as it stands today for the people that don't really know what we're talking about or they haven't looked it up yet. They're listening to you right now. I'm like, Suna, what is that? Give us, give us the elevator pitch. Go for it. Yeah. So Suna is a virtual photo shoot platform that makes it possible for you to plan a photo shoot have your photo shoot completely online via a browser where you're able to see every single photo and video clip as it's created. You pay for your photos and videos completely a la carte. So you pay $39 per photo, $93 per video clip, and we deliver them in 24 hours after you check out. We're building what we believe is the fastest and the most affordable way to create content for your e-commerce store, your marketing materials, or anything else you're trying to communicate online. 
Awesome. Very good. Nice. Nice. What do you enjoy most right now? Do you like the operations? Do you like the people? Do you like the tech? Do you like the cash raise? Do you like dealing with the VC? What's your fa- as, as a CEO, you're pulled between all of those. What's your favorite? Yeah, right now I'm working really heavily on product and growth strategy. So trying to figure out what are the next few things that we're going to do uh, in Q3 and Q4 of this year to really accelerate the path that we're on. And so I'm spending a lot of time looking at customer behavior. I'm spending a lot of time interviewing mm-hmm. customers. Uh, I'm spending a, a insane amount of time reviewing how they're using the product and trying to understand to the best of our ability what they love and don't love about the product. And so mm-hmm. I love that process because okay. when that insight, those customer insights get aligned with your vision for growing the business, you can actually come up with a business strategy that has accelerant on it. And so that's really what I love doing and what I'm spending a lot of my time doing right now. So you've been a CEO now, this is your second startup. You've been a CEO for, I don't know, six, seven years, I guess, right? Something like that. Yeah, it'll be... It'll be nine years this October. Nine years. <laughs> what, what, what advice would you give to a brand new CEO of a startup with uh, eight or 10 uh, employees? What, did, what are two or three things? I know that's probably an hour podcast, just that one no, question. Yeah. But what are, what are two or three things you would say to a brand new CEO? Yeah, I mean, the first thing is if you don't know your numbers and you don't know your business, uh, I think mm. a lot of CEOs think like, oh, I'll just, I'll have an accountant work on our numbers or work on our books and I'll have them prepare P&Ls and things like that. And um, that's just not an option in my opinion. I spent the first three years of running my dear, not knowing, I didn't even know what a P&L was. Um, I'm embarrassed to say. And realized very quickly that in order for the business to grow, I needed to know what the business was doing and how we made money and how we most effectively made money. And so I actually took myself back to business school uh, for a year to, in, in order to in, educate myself and make sure that I understood the financials of the business. And when you understand the financials, you actually understand the health of your business. It's like being able to take the pulse of your business at any point in time, right? Are you alive or are you, or are you dead uh, kind of thing? Uh, the second thing I would say is it, it really does come down to if you are the CEO of a business, you are the chief everything officer um, at that stage, right? Like we, we think that there's like this boss mentality, but the truth of the matter is, is it comes down to you. Uh, what business decisions you're going to make, how the customer feels about your company, you know, what your marketing message is, how you are portraying your business to the world. You are responsible for each one of those things. And if you don't figure out a way to really uh, exact that leadership with, with, good intention, it can go wrong really quickly. And so delegating is good. You should absolutely delegate, but you got to figure out a way to do it that keeps you on the, on the beat of what's actually going on in your business. And then the final thing I would say is um, if you don't work on yourself, you'll build a really bad culture. And so Mm. uh, being really, really keen on, you know, I say this a lot and some people think I'm nuts, but spend time in therapy, spend time on your self-help, spend time taking care of yourself. Um, because those things, if you model, you know, conscientiousness, if you model patience, if you model having grace, when people make a mistake, those things will become your culture. Right. And so there are things that you can do. And it's as simple as making sure that you go get a therapist and deal with some of your anger issues. If you've got anger issues or, or deal with your insecurity around money, if you have insecurity around money or, you know, deal with your, your distrust of people because of what happened with your parents. If you have distrust in your life, you will have distrust in your business. And so, uh, 
you cannot yeah. be the leader that your business needs you to be if you're not willing to invest in yourself and in your mental wealth. Really good advice, Liz, and personal. Uh, thank you for sharing all of that right there. I really appreciate that. Let me ask you this. Um, you talked a little bit about people and culture. When you're hiring right now uh, for your team, and you're going to be scaling up even more, obviously, because you're raising more cash, which means you're going to hire more people. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what are your favorite interview techniques or questions? Is there anything you do in particular when you're talking to somebody that helps you decide whether or not they're right for the team? Yeah, there's a couple of different. So one of the things that we always do is called a crew interview. And so it's a little bit of, you know, what questions I ask, but also how we think about a hiring decision. So especially if someone's going to come into a leadership role, we actually have people who are going to report to this individual also be part of that interview process. And Mm -hmm. that is critical to me because keep in mind, you're hiring that person for their expertise and their depth of knowledge but you're also hiring them to lead other humans. And so you want to know how do those humans feel about being led by that person? You know, are they excited? Are they scared? Do they have uh, emerging questions that might come out of a conversation? And so I think having a a crew interview or or in your organization, it might be a direct report interview. Uh, That kind of dialogue is really helpful. I think some of the questions I love to ask are around, you know, what are, what are some of the things that you've done in your career that are really creative? And what are some of the things you've done in your career that are really uh, practical or, or data oriented? And so that you can see both the left side of the brain and the right side of the brain in people. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the mm-hmm. biggest, one of my favorite things to do is to ask someone who, who's coming into an engineering role, tell me about something you've done recently that's creative. And they light up because they haven't been asked a question like that before. They haven't been invited to embrace that side of themselves. And so, you know, on, and on the other side of it, asking someone who is maybe applying for a graphic design job, you know, tell me about something you've done recently that was really diligently data oriented and what were some of the decisions that you made. (laughs) And again, they light up because they go, wow, you're thinking about me as a strategic thinker. You're thinking about me in a different way. And so you get a sense of the other side of the person, which I think mm. is so key. That's really good, Liz. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah, you're, uh, you're hiring up right now, which is great. Um, congratulations on uh, the team you're building over there. Let's move into some entrepreneurial advice. Now that you've done this twice and you went through Techstars and now you're dealing mm-hmm. with cash raise, you're dealing with investors. I mean, you're just learning all kinds of stuff now, experiencing all kinds of things. If there's somebody listening to this episode, they want to start their own business, but they haven't quite made the jump. They're kind of kind of where you were at there when you were working yeah. for apartment therapy, right? They're thinking about it. Um, what would you tell them? What would you tell them to uh, to encourage them to make the leap? It's funny because I almost there's been a lot of conversations recently among some of my friends about the growing world of entrepreneurship. It's like, I want to be an entrepreneur, but I don't know what I'm doing. And so I, I have entrepreneurship. Um, and I think that's super normal and it's okay to be scared. You know, I think a lot of folks think you're supposed to walk into it going like, I'm so excited. And I, here's all the ego I have about it. And here's all the passion I have about it. And you know, if you're not acknowledging that you feel scared, you're probably going to never do it because you've got to know that you're taking a risk fully. You've got to be conscious of the risk that you're taking. And so one of the first things I would tell you is be real with yourself about how it feels to take a chance like this. 
Uh, the second thing I would say is only do something that you truly can contribute to the world in a different way. You know, I think a lot of folks go online, go on these Reddit forums and they're like, I'm just going to start a drop shipping business because why not? Or I'm going to start, you know, doing this other business I know nothing about because why not? Um, the truth is, is that I tweeted the other day, I've been told no uh, by more than 300 people in my many, many conversations about Suna. And it doesn't even phase me in part because Suna is really the thing I'm supposed to be doing with my life. Mm. I know this is what I'm supposed to be doing with my life. Had I been told no 300 times about, you know, a fashion line, uh, which I have no business starting, I probably would have quit. And so you need to do something that you have such a distinctive purpose and need to do that you can tolerate the downs that are going to be inevitable as part of this process. And so that's really what I would say is, you know, hone in on what am I, what am I going to be doing in the world that has real purpose for me? What's uh, what's a real scary time you want to share? Has there been a couple of moments uh, either through either business, by the way, has there been a couple of really scary times where, you know, you woke up in the middle of the night in the 3am and it's cold sweat or whatever you want to share car got repossessed because you ran out of money. I don't know. <laughs> anything. Yeah. <laughs> That's a real scare. I mean, I had a real scary time just when I started Suna because there it's interesting, but I went from having, you know, 15 people and a finance person and a, you know, help with HR and lawyers and people who, you know, I had relationships with and I had built, you know, over time to, it's just me and Haley again, working in my spare bedroom. Uh, and not to sound trite about it, but I got really comfortable having help. You know, I got super mm. comfortable having help and, uh, it was scary not to have as much help again and to kind of go back to the, the drawing board. And I don't think you can underestimate that, you know, so much of why you don't want to start a business usually is because you're comfortable. And so you've got to decide how uncomfortable are you willing to be? Right. Another really, yep. yeah, no, it's, it's, it's so designed to make you uncomfortable. Um, another time that I can remember that was really scary is, um, my husband and I actually separated uh, at one point during this entire entrepreneurial journey because we just could, we were both workaholics and we just could not figure out how to maintain a marriage and uh, keep our keep our business. He he actually is an engineer, but he has had a long career working in firms, and I am an entrepreneur, and we both just had like laser vision on our careers and couldn't figure out how to navigate our marriage and um, managed to get to the other side of it. And, you know, I'm, we're super happy and I love my husband and I feel so grateful that he's on my team, but there have been moments where I put everything about the business first. Mm -hmm. The business was number one, number two, and number three. And I had to do some work on myself, going back to this idea of like investing in your mental wealth to realize like, what's the point of doing this as one, two, and three, if there's not going to be anybody else on the other side of it. Right. Um, and if I'm going to be alone at the other side of it. And so I had to figure out how to navigate that. And um, it was hard and it, it was scary, but it was also, you know, I think our marriage is now better because we went through that together. Really good point. And I appreciate you sharing that very personal story. Being an entrepreneur is really hard. Being a CEO is really hard. And trying to do both of those, both of those things, while you're alone, 
is <laughs> super scary. So you want to keep your relationships intact, uh, right? So you have a partner to share with and uh, that can support you uh, during those during those times. How about this? Moving towards wrap up, I want to ask a couple more questions. Something about Liz that most people don't know. A- anything interesting? A, a weird hobby? Uh, I don't know something something that uh, most people don't know about you that's a part of your life. Hmm. Um, probably something people don't know about me is I grew up. It's actually a shared thing. My husband and I both have. My dad was a painter. Uh, every every night, every weekend, he was painting landscapes, portraiture, whatever. And my husband's dad is also a professional painter and illustrator. Interesting. <laughs> and so um, we spend a lot of time on the weekends painting, uh, oh. whether it's like watercolors or acrylics or uh, I have my husband just finished a little painting the other day that it's sitting on my desk here. Um, I spend a lot of time with paint. <laughs> That's so pretty cool. Okay. It's a really nice visceral thing that you can do to kind of get out of your head and get into your hands and see what creativity comes out. Put your phone down, close your laptop, work on the paint, right? right? Okay, very good. If you could call uh, your young self coming out of college uh, and tell the young Liz, the 21-year-old Liz, anything, knowing what you know now, what would you say Mm -hmm. to her? Oh, you know, I think I'd probably, I would probably just tell her, you're going to be so lucky. Life is really going to be great. You know, I, I think I had a lot of fear that, uh, my dreams weren't going to come true. And every dream I had was, was not the dream I expected. My dreams have changed. And I probably would more than anything say like your dreams are going to change and that's okay. Uh, and that's, you know, been so wonderful. I didn't imagine being an entrepreneur when I was 22. And now I'm sitting here looking at the other side of 30 and getting closer to 40 and going, yeah, that worked out. You know, I'm really glad my <laughs> dreams changed. <laughs> and so it's been a good thing that my dreams changed and I'm really grateful that they have. Mm. Last question. If you could put your core purpose in life into a sentence <laughs> uh, at this stage, at this age, at this stage, mm-hmm. what does that sound like? The core purpose for Liz? Boy, this is a deep one. I think I want to be an example of what women living out loud can look like. What does living out loud mean to you? I've spent so much of my life, you know, playing by the rules or making people comfortable with what I had to say. And now I just don't really care if you're comfortable with it or not. You know, I am clear on the fact that I am the right person to be building this company. I am clear that you can build a company with equality and justice built into your DNA I am clear that sharing what's hard is just as important as sharing what's good. You know, those are things that are really sort of frowned upon, I think, and sometimes, and especially in the entrepreneurial communities, I I call it startup theater. You know, we're all obsessed with the most grandiose moments, but, you know, 
the moments that matter, the moments that we learn from, the moments that make us who we are, are the moments when you've been kicked to your knees and you're questioning everything you've ever thought about. And you manage to find something inside of yourself that is true and real. And it is the distinctive reason why you are the right person to be doing what you were doing. Those are the moments to share. Those are the things, you know, I, I shared on LinkedIn about how my husband and I had separated and how what we had to do to get back together and still live our dreams. And, you know, the amount of response to that was astonishing from to me. And it was an example of living out loud. Why I, I could post about how perfect my marriage is, but who learns from that? No one's gonna <laughs> learn from that. But you know, when I share about, listen, my husband and I had to have a conversation with a potential employer of his about the fact that my career takes priority and he's going to have to be the one that does, you know, vet visits and childcare and things like that. And people are not ready for that conversation. Let me tell you, but you know what? (laughs) I'm ready. So we're going to have it. If you think today's tip or guest interview can help someone, you know, please share this with them. If you've enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe to our channel and hit the like button. The RiderFlex podcast features entrepreneurs, business executives, and the stories behind how they got there, as well as daily tips on career advice and job interviewing. You can visit RiderFlex.com to learn more about us and get information and pricing on the recruiting and consulting services we provide. Thanks so much for listening and have a great day.